Hi everyone, this is Jill Flaxington from the Road to Health podcast. Welcome to another remotely recorded episode of the podcast. So today in what is starting to feel like a recurring theme here on the podcast, we want to talk about yet another health issue that's been worsened by the pandemic. We've already discussed in some previous episodes topics like substance use disorders and senior isolation and how they get exponentially harder to manage during the COVID-19 pandemic. But I will be the first to admit that a greatly impacted population that did not immediately come to mind for me when this pandemic started is the LGBTQ community. There are significant health disparities experienced by those in the LGBTQ community that are unfortunately magnified greatly by this pandemic. Things like access to care, isolation, and housing and and unemployment. Joining me now to shed some light on some of these issues are a panel of my colleagues who have graciously agreed to spend some time discussing today. We have Guillaume Begal, our diversity and inclusion lead at Blue Cross, Nicole Rodriguez, executive assistant for Blue Cross's brand and marketing team, and Wade Barbera from our employee care center at Blue Cross. Welcome to the podcast, everyone. Thank you. Thanks. Glad to be here. So I'm going to take a step back so that you all can talk about this, but I will start you off with a question. And I will apologize because this is pretty broad, but I think it's necessary to hear from each of you what you think is most important. So I'm curious if you have any thoughts on what you would say one of the biggest challenges is for the LGBTQ community during the pandemic. Is there anything that surprised you or that might surprise others? One thing that comes to mind is uh, definitely loneliness. I mean, we talk a lot about the importance of community and uh, the disruption to our daily routines that many of us are experiencing during this pandemic. And unfortunately, uh, many LGBTQ people do not have close relationships with their families and very much rely on that chosen family, that concept of friends that you essentially adopt as your own family. And um, especially younger people who may be living with parents who are not necessarily supportive of them. So that uh, additional stress on top of everything else that's happening in the world, I'm sure, is very difficult for many LGBTQ people. And to kind of echo that sentiment, I definitely have a couple friends that are still either in college or fresh out of college that are currently living with their family members. And I I kind of didn't expect this to be as big of an impact socially on them just because I'm not in their shoes. I didn't go through that. My family was very accepting and such like that. But they're in situations where they don't have access to their chosen family uh, because they're stuck with their family inside their own house. And I would definitely say that was that is something that I just was not expecting to be as big of an issue as it has been. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I One of the things that surprised me that I probably should have known working in health insurance is that LGBTQ um, folks are actually less likely to be insured. Um, and so they have less access to, I mean, we're all fighting access to to healthcare at the moment anyway, but that additional barrier of they don't have health insurance, you know, they're more likely to be working in things like retail and um, working in restaurants where they don't have that employer-based health insurance. Makes it a lot harder to get the care that they need on a regular basis, much less during a pandemic. Oh, thank you, Nicole. And just to add to what she mentioned, uh, one of the things that we've been talking a lot about is uh, we already know that many LGBTQ people delay needed medical care. So not having a safe space, a a place where they feel affirmed to go and get tested in addition to all of the issues that they're already encountering is, uh, I'm sure, quite challenging for many people during this time. 
the most interesting thing I think that I found when I was was doing some quick research for this episode, um, Nicole, you talked about uh, the the industries where LGBTQ people work, and um, that was a stat that I saw from the Human Rights Campaign that estimated that more than five million LGBTQ workers were likely to have been impacted by COVID nineteen, and that forty percent of all industries where they work are restaurants and food service, hospitals, uh, K through 12 and higher education and retail. And it, it didn't even occur to me that there are industries that a lot of LGBTQ people work in who have been completely shut down. And then beyond just the unemployment, then you, you get to lack of health insurance. Does that then impact your ability to have housing, all of these associated things, um, that are, that are kind of the perfect storm. So, um, I don't think a lot of people might have, have thought about, you know, the multiple areas that are getting hit when it comes to the LGBTQ community. Absolutely. And a lot of these are issues that, you know, already, these are inequalities that already existed before we had a pandemic and the pandemic is just exacerbating what was already here. You know, before I worked at Blue Cross, I worked in retail and my hours were specific so that I was not full time. I didn't have to have, they didn't have to pay for my health insurance. Um, and if I was still working retail, it would be a lot different than, you know, I'm so fortunate that I work at Blue Cross right now and um, has made it a lot easier. But these are all issues that existed before the pandemic. And then another big thing with the retail department is a lot of these people, even if they don't get health insurance through their job, they still have to make the decision of risking and going. Like if you work at a grocery store, you have to make the risk decision of is it worth going to the front lines interacting with all these people every day but those people have rent to pay so a lot of times they don't actually get to make that decision whether or not health insurance is involved or not so a lot of these people are just kind of putting their lives on the line because they don't have another choice absolutely and i'm just gonna take this opportunity to debunk one of the common myths among, you know, for gay people, like people have this idea of uh, gay people, specifically gay men as being very well off. But when you actually look at the LGBTQ community overall, you know, they tend to experience, uh, we tend to experience deeper um, economic hardships than non-LGBTQ people, especially when you think of household led by two women. I mean, you already know that in this country, women tend to make a lot less than men for the same job. So thinking about the people that are more likely to be let go from their jobs and many of them being women, just given some of the industries, retail and restaurant services, you know, it's not very difficult to imagine the deep impact that this is having on the LGBTQ community. And on top of everything happening right now, you know, many of us are also experiencing uh, just trauma from the protests happening right now. I mean, it's not new. Um, as a black gay man, that's something that's always been on top of my mind, but it's been impossible to... Ah... It's hard to explain. I mean, it's uh, you go to bed thinking about it because you're talking to all your friends about it. You wake up thinking about it because those are the messages that many of your friends will care about this are sending you. So it's almost this vicious cycle of traumatizing each other. And uh, the best way that I can explain it is it's almost like having this static that was always there, you know, that you just somehow learn to leave and occasionally ignore that's been like, the static has been turned all the way up. And now other people are complaining about hearing it too. So 
on one side, you're like happy that, oh my gosh, others are hearing this. So perhaps we can fix this and I don't have to hear this anymore. But then on top of hearing the statics, now you're hearing everyone talk about it and complain about something that you've been dealing with forever. And I'm bringing this up because the LGBTQ community is an incredibly diverse community. So when we talk about intersectionality, you know, being a woman, being an immigrant, being a person of color in this country right now is just incredibly uh, exhausting. And it's pervasive. It's in every aspect of your life. You can't just turn it off. You can't take a mental break from it. It's always there. So... When we talk about, you know, about healthcare, we talk about lack of insurance. Let's say you do have the opportunity to go and receive healthcare. We know that there are already a lot of issues with healthcare discrimination, with, you know, people not feeling like they can find a good provider. I know we, I always love to plug our safe zone program at Blue Cross, but um, are there, are there issues that we think are even worsened by the pandemic? Apart from, you know, obviously everyone's terrified to go (laughs) anywhere where there are other people. Um, but I know that healthcare discrimination is a huge issue for the LGBTQ community. And is it, is it even more so in a pandemic? So I've actually, uh, been trying to schedule appointments with doctors for a while now. And as a trans woman, it's been kind of always difficult to find a doctor that would kind of look past that, figure out what hormones I'm on, how it's going to affect whatever medication or treatment they're trying to give me. Weirdly enough, since the pandemic started, because they don't see me in person, it's been easier to schedule appointments and they've been more listening to me when I'm just like, oh, yeah, I'm on these medications. And when they ask what for, I can just say hormone treatment and they don't really ask me questions on it. So since the pandemic, my telehealth appointments with my doctors have actually gotten easier easier to deal with than before I was seeing them in person, which is kind of a weird positive side effect that I wasn't expecting from all of this. Wow. Wait, I I have to ask, are you happier that they do not ask you more questions or would you prefer them to be more interested? So obviously I'd prefer them to be more interested. I'd prefer them to kind of acknowledge that this is a part of who I am and kind of work with me on it. But considering how many doctors had biases towards it before the pandemic, knowing that they're just going to take my word for things and then continue doing the exact same work they would give to any other patient is also kind of a relief. So It's better than it previously was, but it could absolutely have been a better situation overall, if that kind of makes sense. No, no, absolutely. And like just what you described right there is uh, one of the main reasons that I'm so passionate about the LGBTQ Safe Zone program, which part of my job is uh, making sure that we identify and train healthcare providers to make sure that they become more LGBTQ cultural competent and are able to treat all of the patients with uh, the safety and care and affirmation that they deserve. So I really look forward to a time when, you know, that experience, you know, like relying on perhaps technology to ensure a less awkward experience is not necessary. So Guillaume, do you want to, um, to take this time to share a little bit about the Safe Zone program? Uh, the Safe Zone program is something we started at Blue Cross Blue Shield about five years ago. The goal is to identify and train healthcare providers to become more culturally competent when it comes to treating LGBTQ people. 
So from uh, making sure that the forms are inclusive, you know, having more than two options for gender and sex to having non-binary restrooms uh, to looking a little bit deeper than that, you know, asking them about their contributions to the LGBTQ community beyond showing up for pride. Currently, we are at about 35 safe zone sites. As of last year, they've been expanding beyond the traditional healthcare settings to include places like uh, assisted living facilities, which is incredibly important, you know, as we continue to talk about people having to age back into the closet, you know, losing your partner, moving in a retirement home and all of a sudden relying on someone else to feed and take care of your basic needs. And sometimes those individuals may uh, not be comfortable with who you are and you essentially having to change, you know, your identity to just assimilate and fit in. And so one of the one of the other things that I had um, that I had been reading about was that there was there was some concern with some of the LGBTQ groups that COVID-19 is being tracked nationally for a lot of different groups, a lot of different risk areas, you know, by age, uh, by ethnicity, by risk factor. But there was a push that they should be tracking COVID-19 for the LGBTQ community because it would be really helpful in the health issues that are uh, predominantly affecting the LGBTQ community. Absolutely. Thank you for bringing that up, Jill. And I'm hoping that we end up doing that in the future. But unfortunately, as of now, many places are not even tracking race and ethnicity of people testing for COVID. It's unfortunate, but our reality that uh, LGBTQ status, you know, sexual gender orientation are not thought of as a primary data to track when it comes to healthcare, And that's something that I really hope changes soon. Uh, if you do come down with, with COVID-19, if you're hospitalized, the issue of, of having a partner being able or not being able to work with your healthcare team to make care decisions for you. You know, I, I think if I got COVID-19, my husband could talk to the, the medical team caring for me and help make decisions about my care. And uh, that may not be an available option for, for certain people. Yeah, I think in particular with um, the this pandemic, um, when I think about making decisions for you know my fiance, it's less, it's less that, and it's more just that I would be afraid that she would be in the hospital and I couldn't see her. I couldn't, you know, and that's not really any different than, you know, a person of any sexuality who, you know, somebody goes into the hospital right now. That's I think I'm more scared about that than I am about anything else. No, that's a really good point, Nicole. And um, I mean, I was born in Cameroon, a country that still to this day criminalizes LGBTQ people for being who they are. So I'm constantly um, playing this, I guess, balance game of being incredibly grateful for the rights that we have in this country and especially in Rhode Island. And of course, recognizing that we still have such a long way to go. Uh, fortunately, I married my husband two years ago, and it was certainly one of the things, as a healthcare professional, one of the things I had in mind, like if anything was ever to happen to me, I wanted him to be the one making those decisions, because those are the conversations that we have at the dinner table. I mean, much to his dismay, like, if I die, this is what I want to happen. And he says, why are you talking about this? Because it's, you know, that's... That's reality, but um, 
while I trust my family to listen to him because unlike many people, I am fortunate to, we both are fortunate to have good relationships with our parents. I know for a fact, just from speaking with friends, that they do not want many of their family members whom they haven't spoken to in years to make those decisions instead of the person that they're sharing their lives with, regardless of mar marital status. Absolutely. Um, I was supposed to get married this, or my fiance and I, Ashley and I are getting married this summer. Um, and we unfortunately have to have a micro wedding, which is, you know, all the rage in 2020 because we can't get a hundred people together. So we have pushed our big wedding, the, the party portion of it to next year, but we are still getting married this year, um, in our backyard with just a few, you know, friends and close family only because it is really important. And now that you, I honestly hadn't even put that together, but in the back of my mind, that's one of the things that's important to me that I would be able to make those decisions for her and she could make those for me, even though I love my parents, I'm very close to them. You know, they're not here 24 hours a day listening to how I would feel about those things. So that is one of the things that's really important. I'm glad you asked that. Mm, now that I actually think about it, given my situation, there isn't any immediate family that would be able to make those medical decisions. So on top of wondering what the state of Rhode Island would even do if something like that happened, obviously I would want my partner of five years to be able to step in and make those decisions because we're at the point in our lives where the only reason we're putting off getting engaged is because she's still in college and trying to find a job. So at this point, who would the state allow and how can I make it so that it is my partner of five years? And now that this is getting brought up, I think I'm going to have some dinner table conversations with her about this. <laughs> Something exciting happened recently. Open Door Health, which is uh, the first LGBTQ health organizations in Rhode Island, while there are others who serve LGBTQ people, became a uh, COVID testing site. And that was out of the understanding that many LGBTQ people do not want to go to healthcare settings, you know, for fear of uh, discrimination or even violence at the hands of the people who are supposed to be taking care of them. One of the reasons that we really wanted to do an episode now is because it's June and Pride as we know it is not happening. And there's, there's not that opportunity for that, you know, in-person, you know, community event. So we wanted to, to have an episode to talk about, you know, some of the things that are going on, but I want to to throw it to you guys at least again if there are if there are issues topics things that we think are important to share or talk about that we haven't i i really want to give you guys the floor to to share and to to raise some of those points one thing that i do want to highlight the theme of pride this year in rhode island is don't hide your pride and uh it's i believe an incredibly powerful theme especially in a time when perhaps for the first time in years in ever actually pride is canceled in Rhode Island. So many people, even myself included, before I was actually out, really enjoy walking by pride and like and getting those very brief moments of being surrounded by people who were like you, who were different and were okay with it. So I think it's Kind of, I mean, given everything that's happening in the country, it's, uh, we have to reflect on the importance of moments like Pride, you know, which many people do not know started as a riot. And um, one of the favorite things that I've read about this is that Pride is not canceled this year, it's refocused. Yeah, I would say Pride 2020 is back to our roots. 
we as a community forget that, I mean, Pride has become so, um, Pride has become so commercialized the last couple of years. Um, I think the last Pride I went to, I'm from California and the last Pride I went to in California, you know, you had Apple marching, you have Google marching. We had all of these giant companies, you know, that send all their employees out. And while we're thankful for their support, I think that we forget that um, the first Pride was started by, I think it was a, a black trans woman. That's right, Marsha Johnson. 2020, Pride 2020 is us going back to our roots and and standing up for communities that we are allied with, but also communities that we are part of. You know, it's all intersectional. Um, LGBTQ folks here are also part of the Black community and the Latinx community. And it's, we should be standing up for, for what's right. And I think another big thing is utilizing the resources you have to celebrate your pride. You know, most of us are probably going to be stuck inside for the rest of this month at this point. And there are some online resources, even if it's just online communities, like the ones that are based on Reddit or the ones that are on uh, the Discord vo- uh, platform app, uh, regardless of how it is, even if it's people that you don't normally day-to-day interact with. I think just building up any kind of community at this point would be really celebrating the spirit of pride. And even if it's just, you know, you end up video chatting your friends for maybe five minutes towards the end of the month, or you guys get together for like a Skype movie night or something, anything you can do to kind of connect with that community again would really just kind of drive home the whole point of pride being a community thing and not always having to be a commercialized event. Absolutely. And one of the brochures that we put together at Blue Crest Blue Shield recently is titled Beyond Pride, recognizing that, uh, as uh, Nicole mentioned, Pride has become an incredibly commercialized event. So it's really important for us to be able to show everything that we do for and with the LGBTQ community outside of the month of June. I also believe it's worth noting that for the sixth consecutive year, Blue Crescent Blue Shield of Rhode Island scored a perfect score of 100% for best places to work for LGBTQ people. There are a lot of organizations doing great work in Rhode Island right now, such as Rhode Island Pride, and it's been amazing to see how creative they've gotten to continue to serve the LGBTQ community from you know, delivering food to many homes in Rhode Island and partnering with our drag community to raise money on platforms such as Instagram and Facebook. And as a newly elected board chair of Youth Pride, it's been amazing to see how creative we've gotten to adapt and continue to serve the LGBTQ youth in Rhode Island, continuing to offer those uh, services online and, of course, allowing people to stop by and picking up food from our pantry. I would like to thank each of you, Guillaume, Nicole, and Wade. Thank you for joining us and for the discussion. And as always, a huge thank you to our sound engineer, Mark Sheldon, who makes all of this possible. Thanks, everyone. And if you are looking for more information or resources around what we've discussed today, please connect with us on our social media channels. We are at BCBSRI on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. We will see you next time.